up at the top right, now I'm seeing the number of minutes we've been on. Oh, okay. I don't see that. Okay. All right. So I'll be able to have some idea of how long we go. Because let's see, it's already 2.50. We go until like 3.50 or so. <laughs> All right. We don't know okay. where we're going with this, but we both uh, sort of know what ballpark we're in. Uh, well, yeah. I'm, heading, I'm heading out then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you better get the hell out. No, <laughs> yeah, okay. You're the only... <laughs> See you guys. See you, Mark. Take okay, care. Bye. bye. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Hi, Nicole. <laughs> Hi, Charlie. <laughs> You're still sick. Oh, my God. This is your way of saying hello for the past month. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, everybody, this is to hell and back. Um, the podcast uh, that you were looking forward to, and uh, and the podcast about life's ad life's adversities, and uh, what we're going to start talking about today, we've we've just decided that one of the biggest life adversities is being in a relationship, and um, it's just like I find personally that just being myself is unbelievably complicated. I mean, just before the relationship happens, oh, just being relationship don't you you I mean, what relationship with self that is a relationship there are so many right. of ourselves no that's true that's true that's sort of what i mean it's like but i find yeah i guess there's so many it's just like i was thinking earlier today that i mean i just think i'm I don't know if I'm like all other human beings or if I'm really odd because the way my mind works there's so much going on in so many directions and I have so many different opinions of myself depending on what time of day it is and and who I've just talked to and what I've just done and it's kind of like and I just think there must be people who are just out there who are sort of more like a tractor you know they just get started and they go and they plow and they're done but <laughs> I, it just never I just never was that way I've always felt like I don't fit sort of the universe where you're supposed to be one person Yes. Well, I mean, I agree. I don't know that I've ever, I've ever had that image of tractor. <laughs> <laughs> Depends where you grow up. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess, you know, I've, I've always, I've also, I really resonate with this idea of not fitting. Um, but I think that for me, it's like the, the culture of um, self-definition where you know, whether it's our, our resumes, our titles, and now, you know, social media profiles, um, just a different way, you know, cocktail party conversations, these really like clear soundbite ways that I feel like most people are able to introduce themselves, claim who they are, stake a territory on the ground, and and feel at ease with that. That's something that's always been incredibly uncomfortable for me because I've never felt like I am one of those things completely, not even a little bit. I, I I've always felt like I'm kind of actually when I was when I was trying to figure out how to market myself as an actor, which I did terribly, my um my tagline was like actor empty parentheses wonder seeker and i was really big on claiming the empty parentheses as mm. like this is my space i am the undefined space which was ostensibly a really bad idea because the point of marketing yourself particularly when you're trying to establish a career is to say like you know this is my type this is how you know where to cast me and i just i really struggled with that because mm. I, I couldn't comfortably um, self-define no matter how much easier it would um, make my life or my career. It just, it just felt like putting on somebody else's skin. So, oh, so it leads me to a question about you. Yeah. So we get, let's go right to the heart right of this. Yeah, let's right go to right to the fucking heart of this conversation because. Bring it on. All right. 
as you know, and you know what I'm about to say, or you may not know, you may have five I, ideas of what I, I'm about to say. I know what you're going to say. All right. I'm going to say it anyway, because no one else knows. Okay. And, uh, and I'm not sure I know yet, but <laughs> we'll find out. Um, I did, I don't know how many podcasts I did before you joined me as a co-host, but most of them, right? So, and then you joined me as a co-host and I have been repeatedly asked the question by people who've known my podcast. And uh, who is this woman? Who is this woman? It, it isn't like I could introduce you with a simple tagline and say, this is the DBT expert for substance abuse. No, okay. you're you're not that. This is the this is this is a psychiatrist down at Johns Hopkins. Yeah. No, I can't do that. And I can't do any of these things that would be rather simple. So then I'm left thinking, uh, well, and I can start to say, and they say, oh, oh, so she's sort of a lot of different things. I said, actually, yes. Which well, usually translates to uh yeah, why? I don't get it. I don't get it. And then they wonder, like, who you are. And then they wonder, what does it mean about me? That, <laughs> that, that someone who I can't even define who you are. So not only do you have a problem coming up with your tagline, I have a problem coming up. So what do I say in the future? How do I wanna... become a problem? That's really interesting. See, I see <laughs> it as of yes. honor. I really see it as like my most commendable characteristic. I didn't always, incidentally, but um, but I see it that you see it as kind of like this indictment. Um, like it's it's like the the scarlet letter on your forehead. Um, I am collaborating with an unknown. No, you have the parentheses on your forehead. No, you not a letter. I have the parentheses. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, you've now you've now kind of been branded as a collaborator with the unknown. Um, so yeah, if, 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 so why can we, can we talk a little bit about why is that a problem to be someone that is associating with an oddity, especially since you consider yourself a bit of an oddity? I do, but I don't, uh, but the world mostly doesn't think of me as an oddity. Only, only people who know me extremely well know how odd I am. My wife is the, is the expert. I mean, she, she's like, she'll, she'll ask me a simple question. Yeah. Like, do you know where the sugar is? And I, and I'm, uh, my brain immediately wonders which of five alternatives she means. It's like, and she's like, no, I just want to know where the sugar is, but I just, <clears throat> so I, that's just one of many ways, but I'm odd inside in some ways, but I'm, but most people who know me, like I've, I've gotten, I'm good at present at presentation in a way. I'm good at having an identity within a group. On the other hand, that doesn't mean I'm comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. But but I don't have this problem. People don't say, oh, who is that? I just say, oh, well, I'm a Charlie, and I did this, and I did that, and I have this position, I had that position, I wrote this book, I wrote that article, and it's sort of like, oh, okay, he's, he's, a, he's an understandable human being with a tagline. Fascinating. So do you think that you are what you do? In fact, I think that's all I am. I'm, I am what I, I'm for right now. I am what I'm doing, well, but you, I'm not. What I'm you're not, doing is different than like what you do professionally. I should have been more. Oh, you mean, am I, oh, am I what I do? You mean, am I? Are you your accomplishments? Are you your professional? Um, hmm. um You know, like even when I try to write down what I do because I'm asked to give a bio mm -hmm. for a talk I'm giving somewhere, I often end it with saying, it says he's a psychiatrist, he's done this and he's done this. If he had his choosing, he would have been a professional basketball player or a basket or a college basketball coach. And but I could have put a lot of things in there. So I never I've never been comfortable totally comfortable with my name. With uh, with the definition of what I do, I mean, I'm always debating whether I should change my name. I'm, I debate whether I should have tattoos. I'm like, I'm an old man. I mean, I, it's like there's a part of me that just doesn't fit these things, but on the outside it fits. So when people talk to me, mm -hmm. they think, oh, here's Charlie, 
And but then who's this woman? And what's her tagline? And Wait. and then I think I just refused to take one. You've always refused to take one. No, I, well, I, I for a long time I have. I've really, I've really. So you want me to answer the question? And what if I'm just like, well, I'm a verb. <laughs> yeah, well, that that that's not much help. I understand that, and actually, it's it's a pretty important answer. I think from it's, my point of view. I mean. It, I mean, here's what you are to me. I think you are too. Here. I think we all are. This is true. I um, if people say, "Well, why why is she on the podcast?" I say, "Well, I've been having conversations with Nicole for years, and they are some of the most interesting conversations I've had. She's incredibly engaging, and when I'm done talking with her, I often feel like I'm smarter than I was before I started." And um, and and so I just thought, if I'm going to be sitting and talking with somebody for hours, uh, I'd like to talk to somebody who's who it it's, engages my mind and engages my whole self in a way that's like um, you know makes me feel good about what I'm doing. And and she, and so I say that sort of thing, but then say, yeah, but what does she do? Well, isn't that interesting? So when I think about I think your answer is a really, when I think about, well, what's a good reason to collaborate with someone? Right. Is it because they have an impressive title or is it because the, um, I don't know, the, I don't know that it's alchemy, but the, the, the genesis of conversation, um, what we co-create together is something more compelling, more interesting, more valuable than what we're able to do by ourselves. Um, because I'm sure there are plenty of people with very impressive titles, at least in my life, you know, that bore me to death. Um, so mm. it's interesting. I'm, I, I'm, I'm really resisting giving you the answer that I think you want. Um, I'm not, I don't know what you mean. I, I really, there isn't an answer I wish I want. I, I just think this is a pretty interesting it's situation. Been, it's been, the, this has been one of the central kind of explorations, questions of my life. I used to be incredibly hmm. attached. Um, I won't say that I'm unattached, by the way, but I'm this, I, I, I was so fixated um, on credentials um i mean i think we could I, I would say like appearance and achievement were kind of the two um i don't know like pillars of my worthiness in my mind mm. and from a very very early age and at the same time from a very very early age i deeply resented how important it was to me that I adhere to some concept of um, excellence in those two realms as, as I'd inherited my understanding of those things from my family, my culture, et cetera. Because at, on one end, I really deeply, desperately wanted to conform. I wanted to be the very, very best, the paragon of, you know, what I believe, which is, you know, which was what got me, you know, for at least the first year of Columbia Law School. You know, it shaped a lot of, of my decision. It shaped a lot of, uh, not that I didn't find it interesting and, and important and all of that, but um, I was probably aware hmm. for a really long time that you know my my self-concept and and I still wrestle with this was so enmeshed with you know how I was perceiving my external success and failure and um and I I had the privilege of growing up um around a lot of 
extraordinarily accomplished and successful people. And what I observed um, was that in many cases, there was no kind of summit to those mountains um, that, you know, no matter how great the achievement, no matter how, you know, enormous the contribution, no matter how, you know, universal the accolades, there was this sense of perpetual dissatisfaction. Um, and mm. so I, I started getting very interested in Buddhism um, at a pretty early age. And I, I wasn't raised with any sort of religious tradition. Um, but, you know, emptiness, this idea of emptiness and, um, and non-dualism was for me a really like spacious and um, I don't know, generous and generative arena where all of my seemingly uh, disparate conflicting parts made sense. And, um, and I got really, really interested in, in who I would be without any, like, if I could tolerate it, if I could, if I could, you know, cultivate a sense of fundamental worthiness, dignity, um, and to kind of be my own arbiter of meaning without any of the external, um, markers without the titles without the simple taglines if i could tolerate that and if oh. i could um because i i i i figured otherwise i'm going to be chasing these sources of confirmation for eternity oh. and then some um because i wasn't a little bit attached i was a lot attached and so um in large part my decision to be you know to really pursue acting um, as a as a life path and practice was about courting rejection, about really getting intimate with my most um, I don't know like tender vulnerabilities, um, which was this desire to be liked, approved of, picked, and um, you know. And also, was it, but let me ask you: Was it was entering into acting, um, where of course there are people who are seeking taglines and accolades and uh, devoting their personalities to doing it right and getting all the signs of success? There's that. You you pursued that after you tried to pursue go getting a law degree. Yeah, like was that it? I I guess I'm picturing that pursuing a law degree. And I know from a little bit, we've talked about it before, yeah. was that one year into that, it was like disappointing that the way of thinking or the, the system. So of, there were a few different system. elements of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think what I recognized, um, what happened was um, after my first year of law school, my I was present um, during a course of weeks when my grandfather passed away and it really just gave me an opportunity to um to contemplate you know what what i cared about um to really just think deeply about things in a way that i hadn't done or or maybe to synthesize a lot of different um a lot of different threads that had been on my mind and you know i was at columbia at least at that point in time was was a more kind of corporate focused environment and um and what i, I you know i i'd always loved ethics and public policy these kind of you know areas of ambiguity where there wasn't a clear um clear sense of what was right and wrong but so much of how the culture of you know the first year of law school operated was that you know, it was about kind of finding the law firm that you would go and clerk at for the summer and all of that stuff. And it was, it was really like 
you know, it, it wasn't about me wanting to look like, oh, go be there for my edification, you know, alone per se, but I wasn't wanting to commit to a path um, where, I don't know, where, where I, there wasn't like kind of an, like a lack of congruence. And um, so I decided to take a, a leave of absence and um, I was thinking I'd go back I would take the GMAT, I'd go back and do the JD MBA. Um, again, still like wrestling with a lot of different things. And I started taking acting classes. Now in my life, in my upbringing, acting is like a joke. I loved it as a kid. Yeah. It's not like something that serious people do. Yeah. Um, it was just not like, it never occurred to me, you know, I didn't, never took an acting class in, you know, in undergrad. Like, you know, it was always about, maximizing my GPA and being productive. And like, I was never, ever hmm. giving myself like, I mean, I, I, I was at Brown. I mean, RISD was right next door. I mean, and I love art. I never went and took a class there. There was so much room to, to kind of experiment and explore that I didn't take advantage of, um, which really kind of breaks my heart now. But I, I recognize that like, okay, at that point in time, I was thinking, okay, let me just take it this time. I'll, I'll study, whatever. I started taking classes and the, the classes that I, I was taking then, um, they were, they were Meisner, which is just based on this simple kind of, uh, practice of repetition where basically you just like, look at the other person and you just tell the truth and, um, and you repeat. And, um, I think like David Mamet, that kind of work is, is based around um, oh. Meisner. And it was so, I felt so alive. It was so freeing. And there were so many eccentric people um, oh. in, oh. It, you know, in these classes, in the performance world. And I, I just felt like, I felt a sense of freedom. I, I felt a sense of belonging. I felt a sense of like, I'm really good at this. This is so easy for me. And this is like this this just feels like home and um but but not like totally like oh this is it just still felt like this is not allowed hmm. and I just kind of hit a spot at that at the end of that year where I just did more and more and I literally it was just like every hour of my day that's what I was doing I was like this is this is like okay like this is like the craziest riskiest thing ever to like drop out of law school and go be an actor um you know it just seemed obscene and absurd and so for me it was like I don't know it was a gesture of extraordinary at least in the beginning self-permission and risk because I knew I mean I didn't know everything I mean it was it was a whole new world but I knew that there was a lot of judgment I knew there was a lot of focus on image a lot of those things but to me I was also at that point already a pretty serious um yoga practitioner and the idea of using practice like meditation like yoga as um as a kind of like arena or template a way to um to work with yourself as a way to kind of see your um rough edges and to lean more deeply into those rough edges like i figured like okay i am i want to be liked to be picked, to be, you know, to be good, to be the best, like perfectionism, all of those things were, were very much a part of my kind of tapestry. So I was like, okay, this is my chance. Like if I can master, like I can either master the good, bad, right, wrong. Like I can be, you know, I can learn, right. you know, you learn like to think like a lawyer and you can think and you can do anything. I can do that. And there's value there. Um, or I can, you know, kind of master my own human condition. So yes, it's true. Like breaking out of the binary thinking of the law and, and, and kind of choosing art as a mechanism for storytelling. And all of those things were also going on in the background because it was really important for me to, to feel like I could still make a contribution. And, and, but I felt like I had to kind of like cut myself or I don't know, I could only bring parts of myself right. in. Right. And I was like, if I'm going to go work at a law firm, like 
it's going to be just a small little fragment that's going to get to show up. And, uh, and maybe that's not true. Maybe that was just my impression, but that was what I believed. And so that was, that was what was real at the time. So um, well, let me I, say about this, Nicole, that it, it, this is very helpful to me in understanding something that both is the way you function and also one of the reasons why, or maybe the main reason why I've found it so interesting to collaborate with you. It's that you're you're setting up this dichotomy or this fork in the road. And if on, at one direction would be something like learning the rules of the law and learning the rules of the law place, learning mm-hmm. of the rules of the law profession mm-hmm. and approximating those things and building yourself around those and doing those in an excellent way. Yeah. That's one whole thing. That's like that's like going to medical school from my yeah. point of view and learning all the all everything about medicine, you know, and, and learning to be a doctor and learning what the rules are. But and then but but what you emphasize now and what you leaned into when you went to act was that you lean into ambiguity, like who knows how you should do this? Uh, you lean into uncertainty, you lean into vulnerability. Uh, you lean in, in some ways, to eccentricity. Very imperfectly, let me say. And Very. always grasping for control, for rules. I mean, I think... No, but look at that. That was interesting because most people uh, would avoid putting themselves in those positions where you're always grasping for things that are rather uncertain. Like, how do you do this? How do you do this? It's, it, you know, there wasn't a rule book. That, I no, mean, there are, no. there are, there are some there are, rule books. There aren't, but I struggled with it. I mean, but I you struggle with it. Yeah. And I mean, like, because I want, because that's the, like, that's, I think that's the, for me, it is what's most ambiguity, uncertainty, um, in betweenness. I think that is what I find most compelling. Space, open space. True. Yes. Like, that to me is the nature of reality. My experience, my observation. I mean, to me, that is truth. I think there's a part of me, you know, I, I loved philosophy as an undergrad. Like, you know, the nature of truth, the nature of reality, trying to get to the essence of things is something that is intellectually very interesting and and drives me. Um, and I'm always thinking about patterns and systems and how things connect. So, you know, there's something about, which is why I love DBT so much, because, you know, it it's so, well, first of all, it is so ordered and rigorous and, and, you know, it is methodical and it's utilitarian in a lot of ways. And it's rooted in this deep appreciation for the uncertainty of reality, for the ever-changing nature of things, for, for the interdependence of things. And so, you know, and, and, and that's dialectics in general. I mean, I think it's, it's really going right into that that centerpiece of you know what it is to be a human having a human experience to be an individual in you know in a society or in community to you know to always be in the and space because you know i think that what what our world asks of us and what you know and what language and i've always loved language um, I probably, you know, had I had a different upbringing, I probably would have gone on and studied English and been a writer. But even that, that was impractical and frivolous. I don't think I took one English class at Brown, which is so crazy to me. Um, but, you know, this idea that dialectics is this opportunity to, to kind of reconcile multiplicity and oneness Um you know, not to get to an answer, but to, but to be in the question. No, it's, and it's an emphasis on, uh, on there not being a right answer. There's right. an emphasis on there being, on the yes. emphasis on the process. Exactly. The emphasis is on the process. You're always becoming, and you're always trying to put together, not like you're trying to put together the part of you yes. that is striving for excellence whatever that means, but it means mastering things. And at the same time, you're pursuing areas where excellence is really hard to even define. I mean, and if it is defined, it's defined, like, you know, for me, it's always been important to be again, my own, like, if, if I'm, I always like, kind of like, I don't know, I'm a little allergic to the part of me that wants desperately to conform 
to kind of culturally established definitions, because that always feels like, oh, the needy, like fearful part. I mean, I think as, as a creative, cause I really identify as an artist. Um, and you know, it's that place where, you know, like creatively trying to anticipate what, what's wanted, you know, or as an actor, like, what does the casting director want? What's, what's, what's good. First of all, it made me a terrible actor. The harder I tried, the more I studied, the worse I got because the less I trusted myself and the, the more I, I was invested in being good, being like being approved of and wanting to have some tagline to walk around and say, look, guys, I'm worthy. I did it. And I, I really struggled with that. And, you know, as people I knew were moving along and having traditional success and I was there saying, well, wait a second, by now I should be X, Y, Z. It was torture. And I'm so like, it gave me all sorts of other space to bring in different disciplines, to indulge other curiosities, to pursue multiple threads of inquiry and to bring things together. And, you know, again, as I see how my kind of path continues to unfold, I think that, you know, it's never about one or the other. I think I, you know, I'm in trouble where I did this with my weight and my appearance for years where I was like, well, I care too much about, you know, how I look. So I'm just going to like kind of actively try and destroy my appearance and not give a damn. And, And that was a mess because the thing is I did care. And I think it's like, you know, finding ways to hold space for all of that multifaceted dynamism um, that like, you know, I really, I really take, um, take comfort in questions with vague answers that used to kind of be maddening. I used to think I needed to be definitive, but the truth is, you know, like the space of, I don't know, not in a, not as helplessness or confusion, but as curiosity and as invitation, I find to be a really, like, I, I find that to be like a space is just extraordinary possibility and the need for structure and clarity. I mean, I think anatomy, I I love anatomy and physiology because I think there are so many ways in which just our bodies um, as complex adaptive systems, you know, really express making clear decisions. We inhabit postures, right? We Mm -hmm. move in directions. We're not just floating around in the ether. We, we are matter and, you know, we are not our fingers or our, you know, our shoulders or, you know, and, and, you know, some seemingly, you know, innocuous injury in your pinky toe can turn into something weird going on in your rib cage rotating the wrong way. And, and that's just, I think it's, beautifully emblematic of the way our world works, our, our relationships operate, all of that. It's just uh, uh, the what you're saying, I like that we're going about it this way because- I was not expecting this. No, I wasn't either. But, but, because, but it casts in perspective um, things probably about you and me that we can't even begin to hmm. know or explore. Yeah. But um, there are so many things that you're saying. I'm such a different version of the same person as uh-huh. you. I really, it's, it's, it's so interesting because I, I was on a track. I've been on tracks. Mm-hmm. I was on track through high school, mm-hmm. won some awards. I'm this academically and I'm that. In it. And then I'm on track during college to get through. Then I got in. And then, but, but all the way through. And then I was on track in medical school. Then I was on mm-hmm. track in psychiatry doing all these things that are expected, that are laid out, that are required, okay? Doing them and doing them reasonably well. And, and, oh, on the other hand, 
I would take off during college. I would put my thumb out in Cambridge or Boston for the weekend and go up to New Hampshire with a backpack by myself on Friday afternoon and be there until Sunday night. I would hitchhike up to the White Mountains and I'd hitchhike back down to Boston and then I'd go back to school. And other people are doing more normal things. And I'm I'm doing that and I'm exploring places I don't know. I'm going into places that frighten me. Mm. I'm swimming in the middle of the night in a in a pond or a lake where I'm camping where there's nobody else and I'm swimming around thinking, my God, if I die now, no one in the world will have any idea where I am or who I am or what it is. It's sort yeah. of like, and that was that both scared me and excited me that I had that and that I didn't know where I was going. Every time I'd go up there, I'd go a different place. And that just begins to capture how, how I did a lot of other things. I was just always this guy who was on track and at the same time looking for every opportunity to go off track. Hmm. Uh, and, and so I had a different synthesis yeah. than, than you did of trying to have excellence, trying to be on track with something. And at the same time, uh, leaning into vulnerability, leaning yeah. into uncertainty, leaning into... Uh, open space and yeah. and and leaning into fear, yeah. Uh, and I would I put myself in a lot of kind of frightening situations that are totally unnecessary, and <laughs> and so and and it reminds me of like take someone like um, uh, Oliver Sacks. Yeah, I don't know if you read his autobiography, yeah. but yeah. I learned I saw things there I'd never known about him, though I liked his writing and he was a very well known neurologist. Yeah. When he was in training in California, in Los Angeles, I think it was Los, yeah, it was Los Angeles, he, as a neurologist, on the weekend, he wouldn't go off to the woods, but he would be a neurologist all week wearing his white coat. And Friday afternoon, he would get on his motorcycle and take drugs and, mm -hmm. and, and start riding his motorcycle, sometimes thousands of miles across the United States up to Canada. But by Sunday night or Monday morning, he's back in L.A. putting on his white coat Amazing. and being a neurologist. And and at the same time, little <laughs> known fact about him, he would go to Venice Beach in L.A. and he and they had weightlifting championships and he would lift weights and uh, with bodybuilders. And he held the record of the of the heaviest weight that anyone could lift in the California coastline for a period of time. And, and, and he grew up gay in a society where you could be put in prison for life for being gay. Um, so I just sort of think this this capacity. I mean, like when I said some people are like a tractor. I'm not sure there are anybody like a tractor, but what I meant by that, and I grew up around tractors, that's why I think of tractors. It's like my my I went a lot of time to a dairy farm where my grandfather was a dairy farmer. And there's a lot of tractors. So it's just like, oh, you know you're supposed to go from point A to point B and you're supposed to plow this area. Well, part of life is like that, but it is a and and what I like about this conversation yeah. is, is that one of the things that got us going, you and me well before this podcast about talking about who are we yeah. and who are we to each other and who are we on this podcast was when we had to start to identify some logo <laughs> to, to put out there as our podcast. Like this is who, this is the yeah. podcast to hell and back or whatever. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and you sent me a bunch of alternatives that you mo mocked up. Some of which they were, were mock-ups though. They were mock-ups, but very creative and very, uh, and some of them just were words and some of them had pictures yeah. and the ones with pictures included that <laughs> picture of me that you found on the internet. Yeah. That, that's me at my most professional self looking, <laughs> looking rather distinguished and uh, with a coat and tie on, which I, I don't even know where those are now, but it's <laughs> sort of like, uh, and, and looking very pro professorial in a way and, and, and like a good psychiatrist. And then there was a picture of you that would that could have been used as an actress uh, what is, picture. See, this is what is, no, it was just, that was a picture that was, it, it would happen to be on my like right on my thing it was a it was a something from my porch um it was like a very so I thought they were like your the quality of your picture that I pulled off the internet the reason that I got to that <laughs> I pulled yours off the internet 
you had your head like this. That's I right. Mine that was a pretty low quality thing right off because it was close to my desktop. It had the same position. But so your comment, I can't believe we're ending with this because this is such an interesting conversation. So your comment was like, oh, my, you know, your lips are like giant. And um, and so, yeah, no, it was such it was interesting because um like I, I didn't even think of you as looking professorial, like not, not, not for a not moment. Not at all. Not no. for a moment. I'm like, oh, you look kind of friendly and like, um, but not. I didn't, you know, like it wasn't like, oh wow, Charlie's like in his, you know. Yeah, but you. I thought you made. I thought the picture you sent. I mean, I had a lot of reactions to it. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny because it was just a sketch. Like it was. Like I know. I know, but I'm talking about how it registered in my mind, not, mm-hmm. not what you meant it to be. Okay, okay, okay. And the way it registered in my mind was I looked rather s- sort of like stodgy and solid in there. And, and, and you looked kind of like fun and, uh, and, and appealing and more like I said, like a, like a headshot for an actress or something. And, and even though I know that's not true and I hear you, yeah, I yeah, believe yeah, you, yeah, I hear yeah, what you're saying. Yeah. <clears throat> and I know for you, it was, a, it had a whole different flavor. <laughs> But that got us talking because then I said, you know, and then I said, you know, some people have said that when they watch our podcast, they they are sometimes distracted by the fact that I'm just sort of you're compared to me. It's clear that you pay more attention to your appearance with makeup. I don't wear any makeup. I do. But I do have this hat. I mean, with that, if you'd like, you could help me with makeup. (laughs) Thanks a lot. We can do a beauty episode. <laughs> all right. All right. I'd be I'd be open to considering that. I just uh maybe more open than I used to be about that kind of thing. But, I, <laughs> but I'm wearing my sort of um stupid wrapper hat here and and which you know other times is my sort of silver baseball hat. I mean, depends on, on what it is. But you know, it, it it so we started talking about that, and the thing about the the lips that you yes. you I wasn't going to say, but you jumped in yes. and said that. So I I consider that open game. It's sure. an open season. Absolutely. So yeah, I I I, act, uh, I didn't even know how you end up with lips like that. I'm so stupid in the beauty world. And then I learn, oh, well, you do Botox. You, and, well, and you it's can- not like a whole thing. It's not like it's all that. Like some of it's just me. But um, but <laughs> I have right. gotten older and I get a little wrinkle. And so um, and I will like so yeah. So when I get Botox for my little lip wrinkles it makes you look like a little bit of a duck and i'm aware of that um family is definitely not shy about you know giving me their opinions on oh well, i see where this came from. um but yes. no, no no but honestly you know the truth is is like this is another one of those things because i am so i am way more attached no no that's what let me let me say more about my appearance than i would like to and that used to be something I would feel pretty ashamed of, or I'd be like, don't talk about it. Oh my gosh. But now, by the way, I have a zit sticker on my forehead right now. That's how, I, how like laid back I've become, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was not the way I used to be, but like, I will get my, but let me tell you how you have until the day I die, Charlie. And I feel just fine about that. That's, that's what I wanted to get to is that the, the reason I like the way we've gone about this conversation, that this comes in at the end instead of the beginning, is that, um, is that you can be a person who attends to wrinkles or who attends to aging and beauty products and you can do all that and makeup. You can be such a person and you can be a person who works her butt off uh, trying to approximate excellence in your own practices, various kinds of practices and schooling that you've done, and this podcast that you that these things all go together. That none, no one which which, as you know, is often not seen that way. Like it's sort of when some of those people who say to me, "Who is this woman?" It's like Charlie, you're a, you're like a serious intellectual person. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Who is this? person who who pays so much attention and i have to tell you sometimes people in the psychotherapy world the psychiatry world even the dbt world just don't do that stuff you know some of them and so they wouldn't know from them and there's a bias against it that is over it's it's black and white it's oversimplified and i i feel like i understand better and and to me i feel like 
you absolutely can have those things. And as you know, because I told you a couple of weeks ago, I was in New York and paying attention to things like fashion for the yeah. first time in my literally entire life, noticing yeah. what people and went to the uh, what what is it Fashion Institute of yes. of, of and, and the FIT Museum and seeing shoes and seeing things. I've never paid attention to these kind of things. So yeah. now I realize that it's just another one of your identities. Of course, and. And I think that it's also a little bit misleading or um, it's it's unfortunate that there is the ostensible division between, yeah. you know, appearance and, and intellect because, you know, I, I think this is changing also. And, and I, I actually think it's kind of ironic that in psychotherapy, psychiatry, um, and in DBT in particular, there, there, the tendency to kind of the disembodiment of intellectual life, um, mm. the idea that, you know, we are our minds and somehow not also our bodies and, and kind of like, I mean, that, that's very paternalistic, um, and it's almost like the there's something um, about our like erotic selves. This is why I love Esther Perel so much because she she is mm. so playful and eloquent, but also unbelievably pointed in her critiques of of just how our culture has created these. I don't know, false boundary or, you know, these kind of like um, these divisions between these different parts of ourselves that really we all contain and kind of anesthetized mm. what is what it is to be a human being. And so, you know, it certainly wasn't the case for the Greeks and Romans, which is, kind of, you know, the ground of what it meant to look for truth and wisdom. And so the idea that, you know, that beauty, that, you know, design, um, that kind of a holistic way of seeking excellence, of looking to embody excellence, um, you know, that, that, that A, that that has any one expression hmm. um, or that, you know, or that, it's it, it makes sense to appreciate beauty in literature or or the arts, but not, you know, not in mm. oneself or on oneself. There's something about these divisions, I think, in certainly in American academic life that that stays very mechanistic and and atomized rather than the systemic, interdependent, and um it's true. It's you true. know, it's just so incongruent with with the 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 awareness that I think particularly as a you know as doctors and people that study and work with the mind which again I think is why I've always gravitated towards you know eastern contemplative traditions um because we can't kind of divide ourselves into these parts I mean even you know the internal uh family systems approach where where we look at our you know ourselves as containing these multiple parts but it's also it makes it so much easier to 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 look at relationships and their different permutations and different moments uh it's it's very very you know we can't measure like okay what are what you know how do we put in our hand and say okay this 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 counts as intellectual this counts as like who who decides those boundaries and and who decides what a culture looks like it's it's really interesting when we look you know how these things evolved it's really just until the early you know it's the early 1900s where every you know it was like the rise of um of professionalism and expertise or whatever this very kind of puritanical zeitgeist you know one one interesting thing about what you're saying as somebody who's done a lot of training over the last 15 years in italy is that I work with all these professionals in Italy and what's always striking there compared to America yeah. and compared to going to Sweden, for instance, which is more like America in this respect, you know, is that 
at the end of a workshop all day long yeah and 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 somebody says somebody gets up and makes an announcement there's 90 people in the room and somebody says hey uh i know this barn we could go to tonight and 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 have a party and it's like that would that just doesn't happen in Sweden or America that way most places and maybe somebody would try but but they wouldn't get the outcome that this was because out of about 90 people in the room how many people can go like 89 raised their hand wow okay i thought don't they have families to go don't they have to do this don't they have homework tonight don't they have any? no they're going to go party and and people brought wine and people brought bread and people brought cheese and pizza wow. and then three people came who who play american rock and roll music three women and they brought their instruments and we it was till 2 in the morning and that's natural there that's natural. And people, when people went from the training where they were dressed like academics, like one hour later when they showed up at dinner, they were beautiful. Like cocktail dresses. Like everybody's like cocktail dresses and ready to party. And I thought, wow, this is so different, you know, than, than what I'm used to anywhere, including up in Northern Europe, where I've been trained to, in Sweden and Norway and other places. And so I think when you say Roman, the Romans and the Greeks, the Romans are still doing it you might say. I mean, they still have more of a body-oriented culture in that respect. And and I've been saying in the past few years that DBT, as much as I love DBT, and as much as I think the principles in it are incredibly helpful, um, it really is like therapy above the neck. It really uh, is. I mean, that it, was one of my early... There's, there's a little bit of body stuff in it, but like self-soothing behaviors or relaxation techniques, but compared to other things like yoga or other forms Talking, of treatment, actually. it's very just kind of talk, 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 talk. And, yeah. and it's very helpful talk, but but the principles of DBT could go absolutely into the body. Without a doubt. Now, when I first started really getting interested in DBT, what I was thinking, I was um, I was studying uh, Pilates therapeutics and, and really learning about um, mm-hmm. biomechanics. And I was thinking like what I would do was you know, I would try and design like an embodiment component, embodied dialectics. And now I think about what embodied dialectics are in a very different way. And that's, and that's really where I'm working. But I, I think that it's, it's so important. And, and I I think in general, I mean, now that we, we live with and through machines um, and our, you know, our devices play such a, you know, they are, they are, for many of us, our primary relationship. So, you know, the disembodied self is a really, it's more important than ever to really connect with, to ground and to root in our body. Um, and to have, and to have that relationship, you know, with what is, what is alive with what is present, what is real. And, you know, and I've, I've definitely taken many years of detours where I am just, you know, hyper hyper cerebral and i'm trying to figure out conceptually how to execute on values and it's it's um it's interesting how how different it is i think also in the different you know when i was um getting my my masters in interactive media arts even though it was an online program and and i think a really extraordinary brilliant group of people because it was a diverse um, transdisciplinary group. Mm. And I think this has been one of like the key things I've learned over the years, you know, is bringing people with really diverse points of view and diverse backgrounds, diverse ages together. Um, there is something mm. about that kind of collaboration uh, that, that really force and everyone looks different. I mean, this, and there are a lot of conversations about this in our culture in general right now, but everyone looks different. Everyone thinks differently and it forces participants, you know, you've talked about looking around in a, in a conference or whatever, and everyone, everyone looks professional and everyone kind of has a, a thing. But when you look around in a community of creative collaborators and no one, there is no type. Hmm. Me, I mean, on one, first of all, it just feels so much freer and mm. there's so much more room to experiment but it's also it's just so much richer in terms of you know how i'm 
how I learn, how I'm touched, what, how I'm changed and transformed by the community. So, um, and it's more embodied. You know, I felt through spending 18 hours a day on my computer trying to learn to code some days, um, I still felt like I was inhabiting my space and really? my world. And I think there was something about the conversation about location where each of us, you know, was literally existing. Someone's in China here. Some, it just, we really lived in a, in a, in our context and we shared yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah anyway, yeah. it's a different, yeah. it's a different thing kind of, but it, 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 there's something, um, yeah, there's something that's come out of that for me uh, um, in a lot of different arenas over time that I, I seek out now. In social work, when I was thinking like that's, it it didn't have that, um, which was a bit disappointing. Um, but, you know. You know, and it's going to be, I we, we don't have time to talk about it now, but you, you and I have been, had our own conversations and interest about the work of Ian McGilchrist. Mm-hmm. about right brain and left brain, which really comes up for, yeah. in my mind right now, because it's the, the what you're describing is a left brain uh, type of, yeah. of interaction um, yeah. that's driven by uh, being in the moment and being uh, particular and being body oriented, being right brain. metaphor, right brain, exactly. Yeah, that all of that's right brain. And, and we're talking about, uh, so that right brain DBT. Yeah, yeah. Would, have a whole different flavor to it than left oh. brain DBT, oh. and they and and yet they both can exist coexist. But yeah. most mostly, one of the things people like about me when I teach DBT is the uh, bringing in the right brain, bringing in kooky. spontaneity, being kind of kooky, being kind of improvisational, <laughs> and being willing to risk uh, screwing up uh, yeah. and and then recovering. So you know, yeah. no, that's yeah. why. I mean, when I first I read your book which I loved and I thought was really brilliant. And it was, it actually had an embodied quality and that's how I first got interested in, and that's how I first started listening to your podcast. But actually when I heard your podcast, it was so extemporaneous and unpolished in the beginning. Uh, I say with, with, you know, with all respect and I'm, I'm, I'm much more anal and perfectionistic with my stuff. So, you know, you really, what I was, I was so moved and impressed by your capacity, I think, to to have that freedom with yourself and your work and, you know, to include those parts of yourself. And so that, you know, that was one of the things mm. that drew me to you was that, oh, okay, you can obviously produce at this level um, and you're, you can play, you can, you can allow yourself to be in the public. Maybe you didn't know what the realm of podcasting was really all about and that's okay. Uh, because you still, you showed up and you did it and you just, you let yourself, you let yourself experiment. You're experimenting now. So um, yeah, I, I think the Miguel Christ conversation is a really, really important one and an, an interesting one. And I'll tell you one more thing, Nicole. I had this conversation the other day with somebody, as you know, who might, uh, we might consider helping us with marketing this podcast on social yeah, media. Yeah. And he has a lot of experience. And, and when we were talking about the different things that help him as a marketer, yeah. he said, if you do any real interactive things, like if you could do demonstration role plays and get into things, he said, those things really, totally. like, they, they really pop. And, that, and, and because they help people, it helps bring people in. So it's the same thing we're talking about, even at the level of marketing. If, you, if you're like putting out there, like the, the, the role play that we did, where you were this outrageously narcissistic <laughs> that woman. That was so much fun. That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> no, right, well, humans think in story. But wait, before we finish, exactly. I want to know if you were to get a tattoo, what kind of tattoo would you get? Oh God, I've had so many thoughts about this. I mean, it's I'm all over the map about it. It's really hard to nail down. I just walked through Northampton and went and got my cappuccino a little mm-hmm. while ago. I mean. Yes, I'm. I guess I'm a woke liberal type. You know, I even in the afternoon. You think? You, think? you know, and uh, <laughs> and so there was this person standing at a flower shop, a woman who had tattoos from her toe to her head, and the ones on her legs looked so beautiful. I mean, I used to think they were all problematic when they very first came out. Yeah. Now I look at them as various kind of like works of art on people, yeah. and I think, wow, that person—you couldn't distinguish her legs from uh, sort of 
vines that are going up, you know, beautiful, different yeah. color. So I don't think I would get anything that dramatic. One of my sons, who's done whitewater rafting for years yeah. as a guide and kayaking, he started with a just a very discreet, very lovely kind of paddle, uh, like like rafting paddle. I'm not rafting a kayaking paddle on mm. the back on the back of his ankle. It's just lovely. If I started, I would probably start with something. I guess I'm, now that you've asked the question, between now and next time you and I talk first about thought, this. best thought. Don't yeah. don't worry about getting it right. What's your first thought? You can change it next time. I'd probably put uh, a very nice scripted name, Cindy, uh, who was my best friend yeah. um, till she died, and maybe some and some some emblem, maybe with a basketball there, because she and I sort of yeah. developed our friendship around watching basketball together yeah. and just loving basketball. And so I might, it might be something like that, just a memory. But then once that opens up, then I think, thank God I have a large body because there's space <laughs> for a lot more. You know, if that comes I in. I can't wait till we do one when you're just fully, if you start getting like piercings everywhere, it will be a really good time. And, and color my hair. You know, oh, totally. Absolutely. And your beard? Oh, I could color the beard. At least I have some hair there. No, yeah. fun. Your eyebrows, <laughs> the, the, the options are endless. <laughs> All right. I didn't realize this podcast was going to be about the embodification of Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's where we're ending now. But we'll continue this conversation after we've had a chance to think about more of it. Sure. Um, you know, a couple of weeks from now. Uh, and next week we'll be doing uh, going back to another podcast with Natalia Garcia. Uh, 